You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. This is the way God relates to us, through Jesus, the God-man. As they beheld the Lord Jesus, they beheld God's glory. Anybody that rejects this truth rejects the true God. For he is the very glory of God. If people look at Jesus and say, yeah, I don't think he's the son of God. Yeah, I don't think he's really all that special. Yeah, I don't think he reveals God in any special way. This verse says, but he's the very glory of God. Do you want to know God? Do you want to see Him and experience Him? Well, today, you're going to learn how to do that. It's through Jesus. Pastor Tom will share today how Jesus, the human form of God, came to earth in an incredibly creative way. And that human form of God was killed on a cross for the sins of all of us. He didn't deserve it, but He obediently endured it for you. He loves you that much and desires a relationship with you. You can know God if you're willing to know Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of John chapter 1 for today's edition of Discover Hope. God, by definition, is the eternal, unchanging I Am. And yet here he became a human in every way like unto us except with sin. And he refused to use his eternal powers. He had them available to himself, but he self-imposed limitations upon himself so that now he would hunger and he would thirst and he would experience fatigue and he would choose to have to grow and choose to have to learn. Later, he would bleed and he would die for the sins of man and he would rise bodily from the dead. He became every way like us except sin. I say again, for sin is not inherent in being human. Now, John does not describe how the word became flesh. He does not give us the mechanics about how all of this worked out. He just declares that it happened. The job of describing how this happened was left to two other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke. They conveyed to us what we call the Christmas story. In Matthew 1, in that great passage, verses 18 to 23, it words it this way, Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And you scratch your head and say, uh, how did that happen? Well, that's what we're given. Joseph was told, behold, the virgin shall be with child. In fact, the whole nation of Israel was. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. What happened? The miracle of God in the body of Mary produced a miraculous conception. And those are the mechanics of it, beyond my understanding. We could say it this way, like Father, like Son. The Son, just like the Father. That is the fantastic incarnation, beloved. And second, and don't miss this because this is the blessing to us. How do we even know that? How can we even talk about that? How can we even rejoice in that truth? And it's because of the second part here, the fantastic revelation. Really from the second part of verse 14 all the way down, and I'm just going to summarize the passage. But it says in verse 14, he came and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and lived or dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. That word 
did not only become flesh, but he lived among us. I love this because this is where it connects to us. Look at what God did. He didn't just become some human being somewhere. It says he lived among us. This is where it connects to us. This is where it gets personal. This is where we realize the kind of God we have, that he wanted to be right down there among us. In fact, the verb dwelt in Greek is skenao. It means to fix one's tabernacle or to have one's tabernacle or buy or live in a tabernacle or even the verb to tabernacle. It refers to putting the stakes down in the ground, so to say, and to live there. You would pull up stakes and you would move and then you'd put the tent down in another place and that meant that's the location now where you're going to live. That's what he did. He came down here, he put his stakes down, so to say, and he said, I'm going to live among you guys. That's so exciting. It's so meaningful. By the way, it's used this way in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 15 and Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you realize the image that's supposed to arise in your mind as you read about this. And that is the Old Testament tabernacle, right? God actually did live among his people back then, right? That tabernacle was called the tent of meeting. Man, neat. You want to meet with God? That's where he is. He's in that tabernacle. That's where we meet God. You notice that it shines at nighttime sometimes, and that shows you God is there. Or the cloud is over, and it's like, oh, God is there now. This portable construction that the Israelites were commanded to build after their exodus from Egypt and their time of slavery was where God chose to live. He didn't want to live anywhere else. He wanted to live right there. He had all of the rules about the way it was going to be built and what material was going to be used, the design in it, who was allowed in it, when they were allowed to go in it, because his holy presence would be there. And Israel in their camps surrounded it and they were being trained. This is how you approach God and this is how you do not approach God because he's living among us, you see. But there's distance there. The priests, had to, the priests had to kind of go in there and intercede between the people and God. And only the high priest got, in the, got to go into the innermost sanctuary of that tabernacle, the, the Holy of Holies, and he only once a year. And so God had commanded that this tabernacle be there as an illustration of his presence. In fact, he said, In Exodus 25, 8, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may live, dwell among them. In Exodus 40 and 34, it says the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There he is in his glory. That's the parallel. The parallel is just as that tabernacle stood among the Israelites as the place to reveal the glory of God, to see God, in other words to know this is him and his presence with us. Jesus arrived in a body as a human being, and he pitched his earthly tent, so to say, his body, so that he could live among us, the us being all the people that got to see him, the disciples especially, and then in living among us, reveal the glory of God to us. This is his imagination at work again, the fantastic revealing of God, even a greater revealing of what God is than the Old Testament. Really, in Old Testament times, they didn't get to see God all that much. Moses wanted to. He climbs up the mountain. He's got a very special relationship with God. He has been said to be the prophet that's even in a greater relationship with God than the other prophets. God said, you know, uh, Moses is special. The law of God came through Moses. 
And you think a guy like that, he's going to get to see God in all of his glory. Not so. Moses prayed to see God's glory in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. But God said in verse 20 of that same chapter, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And so the arrangement was made while my glory is passing by, I will put you Moses in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I'll take my hand away and you will see my back, but you shall not see my face. And so the revelation that was given back then of God's glory in many places was a lesser glory. Here through Jesus Christ, John is writing, it's a greater glory. It's a greater revealing of God. Please notice down in verse 18, John 1, 18. Jesus is said right there that he reveals the invisible God and that Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is taking the place of the tabernacle and the temple. He is now where we meet God. He is now where we perceive God. We see God. He's the greater manifestation. He's the greater glory. John, I think he's writing this emphatically. And verse 14, we beheld his glory. Man, what a privilege. We, we got to see his glory. The us and the we are those eyewitnesses in the first century. They beheld Jesus. That verb, by the way, is theatomai. We get our word theater from it. We're the ones that got to be the spectators of this. We saw it. We were the special privileged position to see it and write about it. John saw Jesus and wrote about him. And Jesus is the perfect revealing of the invisible God. Indeed, Mary and Joseph got to hold in their own hands the eternal word. Is it no wonder that the wise men traveled so far just to see him? Just to see him in his bodily presence. God was living right there with them, up close and personal. Is it any wonder? John begins his first letter, First John. The life was manifested. The eternal life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. This is the way God relates to us through Jesus, the God-man. As they beheld the Lord Jesus, they beheld God's glory. Anybody that rejects this truth rejects the true God. For he is the very glory of God. If people look at Jesus and say, yeah, I don't think he's the son of God. Yeah, I don't think he's really all that special. Yeah, I don't think he reveals God in any special way. This verse says, but he's the very glory of God. Doxa, we get doxology from it, where we glorify God. He's the glory of God. He's the brightness and the splendor of God. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself in a number of different ways, dreams, visions, angelic appearances, theophanies, we've mentioned them. But in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature. You never improve on that. Here in this one human being, from swaddling clothes to the cross of Calvary and beyond, is the glory of the true God on display. When people ask, what is God like? 
God has already answered that question. I am like my son. The same glory Moses beheld in the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory of Exodus 40, the glory Solomon saw in the temple as it descended in 1 Kings 8, is now manifest to men and it's greater. Well, how fantastic is that? In fact, it's further explained by the rest of the verse. Glory as of the only begotten one from the Father. This glory is so great of a glory of the Father. It is the glory of the only begotten one from the Father. The one that was right there with the Father, the Father has sent. And now that is the one that displays the glory of the Father. You don't get any more personal. You don't get any more close. You don't get any more exact than that. It's the glory that belongs to the only begotten one of God. The term monongonese, only begotten probably, scholars who have analyzed this word more recently, better to translate it the way the NIV or the ESV has it, the one and only son, the only son from the Father. The one who's in a unique relationship to God that no one else in the universe is in. The term is used of the widow of Nain's only son in Luke 7, 12. It's used of Jairus' only daughter in Luke 8, 42. It's also used of Isaac in Hebrews eleven seventeen, who was not Abraham's only biological son, for Abraham also gave birth to Ishmael, you may remember, but Isaac was his dearest son. Isaac was his son of promise, his special son, his unique son, his one-of-a-kind son. And thus Jesus stands in unique relation to the Father, for he alone is the same exact essence as the Father. That's what it means if you go down to verse 18 again. No one has seen God at any time. Wow, what an emphatic statement. No one has seen God at any time. So when someone, by the way, comes along and says, I've seen God, they're a liar, by the way, just for a side note. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten one or the only one of God who's in the bosom of the Father. He, the Son, has explained him, the Father. And that means he's explained them perfectly. You know, when the cults come along and they say, but we have more to tell about God that Jesus did not reveal, you know right away they're liars. And again, I tell you, what did God the Father say of Jesus at Jesus' baptism? This one year, this one is my beloved son. There is no other. There is no son of God like Jesus. You and I are adopted sons of God through faith in Jesus. Amen? That's Ephesians 1.5, Galatians 4.5. But we're not the eternal, only begotten Son of God. Jesus is that. Jesus is one in essence with the Father. John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Again, no one in his class. The incarnation of God has no parallel. No other human being fits that. The incarnation of God will never be repeated in the universe, ever. Because no one is ever going to reveal God like Jesus did. Jesus is no fantasy, beloved. He is the truth. And he reveals God truly. The two attributes of God that Jesus reveals about the Father. And these are not the only two, but it's interesting that John chose these two. 
the two attributes that Jesus reveals about God are he is full of grace and truth. If you were to choose two attributes, you'd say, what did Jesus reveal about God the Father? And you were to pick two and say, these are the two things that he revealed about, about God. I don't know. Would you have chosen those two? I don't know that I would have. I was thinking about this the first time I studied this passage way back, and it's amazing. Full of grace and truth. Full is play race. It just means to be abounding or filled with or stuffed full with. Jesus' glory that he reveals of the Father, that glory was abounding, was overflowing with grace and truth. That refers to God's glory in terms of his character. You know, the, the apostles got a glimpse of God's eternal power glory when they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus' garments were transformed and all of that deity from the inside shone out of his body and the disciples were just amazed. This was Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration and they're like, what's happening to him? Here he is. He just usually looked like a normal man like you and me and all of a sudden all of this this power is coming out of him and all of this light is coming out of him and that was the glory of God also. That's referring to his his eternal power, I guess, referring to his shining glory. But here, John is writing about his character because most of the time when they saw Jesus and they were hanging out with Jesus, they just kind of saw him operating as another human being. And what was that like? What was it like being around Jesus? What was his character like? And he summarizes it with these two words, grace and truth, full of grace and truth. You know grace, chorus, that unmerited favor from God, a gift by becoming incarnate. God gave his greatest manifestation of his own personal love for his people. Nowhere is the love of God revealed more than in the person of Jesus and that God gave his son in grace. I want you to know how much I love you and how much I give to you. And the, the Lord Jesus himself gave up all the, the glories and the fame of heaven and all the angels worshiping him and he came into this place where he was not really all that recognized. And then he suffered and he died and he experienced shame down here with people shaming him and treating him poorly. That shows God loves us. He gave his, God gave his greatest gift, his own son. I mean, at Christmas, we give gifts to each other. God gave the greatest gift to us already, his own son. And his own son gave of him his own self. And we ask ourselves, how could anybody ever love me more? How could I be convinced of God's love more than this? That God the Father gave his most precious son, his only begotten son. For who? For who? who did he give it to? Who got that great and that grand gift? Who was the recipient of that huge big package there? And the answer is I was and you were. And that should convince you that God loves you. God is full of love, full of grace but he's also full of truth. Truth is not just something that is true, but the truth, the ultimate truth. Grace is giving and truth is demanding. Truth requires you to respond to it. God gave truth through Jesus. According to John 3.31, truth must be practiced. According to Psalm 51.6, God requires truth in your innermost being. At his trial, the mockery of a trial, Jesus stood before Pilate in John 18, 37, 
and he declared, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Grace and truth, grace and truth, full of them. This reveals and summarizes God's very character to us. You say, why, again, those two attributes? Did you know that in the Old Testament, when God himself wanted to summarize his character, that there could be a long list of attributes. God is patient, and, and God has compassion, and you could go through all kinds of attributes. We do that in our Attributes of God class. But when God speaks of himself, and he summarizes his character, he uses these same two attributes for himself. He speaks of himself as being full of loving kindness and truth. That's the same, grace and truth. In fact, when God passed by in front of Moses in that Exodus 34, 6 passage, God declared himself to Moses. He declared who he was, and it says this, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and here it is, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Same thing full of grace and truth. Chesed and emet. God abounds in grace and truth. And I just love that. I love the fact that my God is giving and generous and kind and he has seen the worst of me and he loves me and he'll never let me go and he sent his son to die for me and I'm secure in his love and I may be suffering now and I may feel neglected now, but he has already demonstrated the greatness and the eternality of his love towards me and that will never change. That will never change. I will always be loved by God and so will you. But he also is the eternal God of truth. He is truth. He speaks truly, but he is truth. Everything he says is true. Everything he says is real. Every promise he makes to us will come about. And he only speaks in truth categories. And he demands truth from his own people. He demands truth from you and me. That's what he revealed about God. The eternal God, the word, runs the universe, created the universe eternally existed as God, became flesh, lived among us, and revealed the glory of the invisible God perfectly to us. And the revealing of that glory, that shining character of the invisible God, is a God so full of grace, so full of truth, it should just excite us, it should just humble us who he is. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. I could do a whole sermon on that. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. You know, sometimes people ask, when you preach a sermon like that, what are we supposed to do with that? What's the application, Pastor? What are we supposed to do with it? And uh, I'm going to tell you, you need to believe it. <laughs> you need to believe it. What's the application for this? What, what do I do with that kind of a message? And the answer is, you need to believe that. If you don't believe Jesus is the eternal God made flesh, there's no hope for your soul. This is the truth you're to believe and to be saved by. And if you already believe it, here's your application. And it's very simple. Just come forward and bow low and adore your God and worship Him. This is Jesus Christ. This is the God we worship. There is 
You could search the world of religions and you will never find this love and you'll never find this truth because there is no God really in their worship at all. Here is the true God who loves you and loves me. While the concept of God becoming man may be confusing, it doesn't mean it's any less true. Pastor Tom today described how this miracle was possible and how it changes the dynamic of God's relationship with us. He wanted each person, you included, to have the opportunity at a relationship with Him. That's why Jesus came to earth, and that's why He died on the cross for your sins. You can accept His grace and know God. I am so glad you joined me today to dig deeper into God's Word. Before we share what's coming up next time, I'd like to give you the opportunity to join us in sharing the gospel message here at Discover Hope. Would you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this ministry? We're a listener-supported radio program, and all gifts are very appreciated. You can get all the information and donate online by visiting hopebible.org radio. That's hopebible.org radio. So what can you do with the lessons Pastor Tom has taught today? You can do just as he said, believe it. If you're ready to commit your life to Christ, just pray this simple prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe in you and receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. For more resources to connect with us, visit hopebiblechurch.org and be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.